so good. You can go ahead and grab your seats right where you are in this place. You met my wife earlier in service. My name is Phil, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, and I'm so glad that you're here at Cornerstone Church on the very first Sunday in December, which means that we are kicking off our Advent season. This is all things Christmas from now through the rest of the year, and it's so good to see so many faces. It's so good to be joining with you online today. I'm so glad that we are here in this place getting ready to experience everything that God has for us today. And uh, I'm not going to be before you long. Like my wife said, we have communion coming up in just a little bit. And so I want to make sure that we have maximum amount of time for communion today. This is a, a special thing that we do from time to time where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so I'm only going to be here sharing for a little bit. But then I'm going to make sure that we can enter back into his presence, that we can experience from him through song and praise and worship again. It's going to be a great day together. We're actually kicking off a brand new series today that is going to lead us right through Christmas. This is a series called Come and Behold, and we are encouraging everybody this Christmas season to come and behold Jesus, to come and behold the reality that he brings love that transforms everything, to come and behold joy that he brings, to come and behold the generosity that he brings, to come and behold Jesus this Christmas season. And so if you're ready to experience Jesus, if you're ready to, uh, to learn more about Jesus, then you are in the right place, and we're so glad that you're here. If you're just curious about Jesus, then you're in the right place. If you've got doubts about Jesus, then you are in the right place. We're believing that we're gonna grow more and more in his likeness as we enter into his presence week after week after week together. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss a moment. Be here every service. These series, this series is going to build one upon the other. It's going to be a great time together as we come and behold Jesus, who is our Savior, and we learn about why he came to earth 2,000 years ago. And the scripture that we're going to be using, the core scripture that we have for this series, uh, comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Matthew 2, verses 9 and 10, and it reads like this. It says, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was, the child being Jesus. And verse 10 reads, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I feel like that's what's in the house today. There's an exceedingly great joy that is present here. Anytime you get to spend time with Jesus, your response should be exceedingly great joy. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are here with us today. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here. Your presence is so rich. Your presence changes everything, and we're thankful that you are doing already the things that only you can do. We're thankful for that today, God. I ask that you would speak through me. I ask that you would allow for everybody to receive a message that they need to hear, specifically designed and purposed for them to hear. You know what's on everybody's heart. You know exactly what people need to hear today. And I ask that you would work through me. I ask that you would continue blessing people in these moments. And everybody said? Amen. 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 So uh, back in 1996, there was this movie that came out. It's one of the most quotable movies of all time. Back in 1996, it was a movie called Jerry Maguire. Has anybody seen this movie? Jerry Maguire? Okay. So... 
I know that some people in the room weren't born yet in 1996. I had this experience a few weeks ago that I've been complaining to my wife about since then, but I was speaking with somebody and I was telling them about a musical artist that I grew up listening to. And I said, this was somebody who I just loved listening to in high school and they really like just helped me through high school and it was just such a fun experience and all this. And I said, you know, this song came out in 2001 and it was such a breakthrough song for this person. And they said, I have never heard of the person that you're talking about and I wasn't even born in 2001. And it hurt. Has anyone ever had that experience before where all of a sudden you realize that you're not as young as you used to be? But in, in 1996, this movie, Jerry Maguire, came out, and it was this huge movie. We know many of the lines that came out from it. You, you might not have even seen the movie, but you know the line, show me the money, right? You know this line, right? This, this line came from Jerry Maguire. And uh, there's this other line that comes from the movie when Tom Cruise's character is looking at Renee Zellweger's character across the room, and it's this beautifully romantic scene, and Tom Cruise says to her, you complete me. And it was like beautiful Hollywood bliss. Like you could not script something better if you tried, right? This is perfection of romantic movies in Hollywood and it was just awesome. But the problem with that is that we know that you cannot actually be completed by somebody else. And when you carry this thought out, you realize that you cannot be completed by another person. And even when we look at Scripture, we realize that this idea is not found in Scripture of being completed by somebody else, right? This idea is not found in Scripture. Matter of fact, this idea actually comes from the writings of Plato. And Plato wrote back in Greek mythology that there were these ancient uh, people, this superhuman race that existed that were competing with the gods of Greece. And so Zeus was feeling threatened with this superhuman race, this round human people, that he decided to divide this superhuman people into men and women. And that's the idea of where men and women came from. Now keep in mind that I'm not talking about what Scripture says about where we come from. This is Greek mythology about where we come from. And so now you are divided men and women and we are divided from our soulmates and our purpose in life is to try and come back together with our soulmate. And that's what Greek mythology says about us. But we know that the reality is that we have not been separated from one another. We have not been separated from our soulmates. We know that Scripture says that we have been separated from our Creator that our purpose in life is to connect with our Creator. Our purpose in life is to be reconciled into relationship with our Creator, that sin entered into that relationship and caused a break in that relationship so that we were no longer able to connect with our Father, and Jesus did what only Jesus could do on the cross and reconciled us into right relationship with our Father. You cannot be completed by another person. You cannot find your completion in your spouse. You cannot find your completion in another person. You cannot find your completion in your job. You cannot find your completion in your hobbies. You can only find your completion in your Savior. And we know this. We know this, right? We know this. The issue is that sometimes people come to me and they say to either Meredith or I, they say, do you think that Meredith is the only person that you could have married? 
And I feel like it's a trick question sometimes, and I don't know exactly how to answer that question, but the reality is that I feel that the answer is no. I don't think that Meredith is the only person that I could have married. That would mean that she completes me. That would mean that God only created one person for me to marry. And in the seven billion people that exist today, I don't think that there was only one person that I could have married. There was only one person that I wanted to marry. There was only, she was the best person that I wanted to marry, but I don't think that God only created one person for me to marry because she doesn't complete me. And I don't complete her. Jesus completes me. And Jesus completes her. You understand what I'm saying? And it's, and it's dangerous when we get into this line of thinking that you find your completion in somebody else. It's dangerous, right? Because it puts an unnecessary weight on the, another person that they now need to complete you. It means that another person is responsible for completing you or vice versa, that you are now completing another person, right? It, it, it's an unnecessary weight. It's, an, uh, it's a burden that another person cannot fulfill. And it's not even just about love. Like, I'm not even just talking about love right now. You cannot find your completion in anything that has been created. Anything that has been created will never complete you whether it's your hobbies, whether it's your work, whether it's another person, anything that has been created, it was never created to complete you. The only thing that is possible to complete you is Jesus because, because he wasn't created. And, uh, and, it's, and it's true when you think about it, right? Like if you are married, just because you're married, that doesn't necessarily that you mean that you are going to be complete. Right? You can be married and unable to have kids and then feel incomplete in that relationship. You can be married and be in an ugly relationship, be in a, an abusive relationship, and you can feel incomplete in that relationship. Just because you're married doesn't mean that you are complete. And in the same way, just because you're single doesn't mean that you are incomplete. It doesn't mean that you are incomplete in your singleness because you can be complete when you have Jesus. And if you're single, if I was single right now and if I was looking for someone to marry, I would not be looking for someone that is looking to me to complete them. Just a little bit of relationship advice. If you're dating someone right now, do not look for somebody that is trying to find their completion in you because it's only going to be frustrating in your relationship. They will never find their completion in you and you will never find your completion in them. You can only find your completion in Jesus. You will only find your completion in him. It's an unfair, it's an unnecessary, it's a burden that, that other people cannot feel in your life. Colossians 2.10 says it like this. It says, so you also are complete through your union with who? With Christ. You find your completion in Christ. You don't find your completion in another person. You don't find your completion in your hobbies. You don't find your completion in your degree. You don't find your completion in your, in your assets or your bank account. You're not going to find your completion in those things. You find your completion in Christ. And I love Meredith. I love you. But you don't complete me, right? She doesn't complete me. And I, and I know that we know this, right? I know that this is like, this is like Sunday school at Cornerstone Church. We know this, right, in theory. But then on social media all the time, I see people profess their love, like every anniversary that someone celebrates, I see somebody saying, this is such and such, we've been married for this many years, they complete me. And I think, Ugh, no they don't. 
They do not complete you. We know this, right? When we study scripture, we know this when we experience God. We know this when we enter into church. Your church is not gonna complete you. The person sitting next to you is not going to complete you. The person that you're married to is not gonna complete you. Only Jesus, I'm drilling this in right now, only Jesus is able to complete you. And that's because Jesus wasn't created. Anything that is created will never complete you. And it's only because God is love and God was not created that he is able to complete you. It says in 1 John that God is love. God is love. He doesn't just love you, God is love. And so when you try and experience love, when you try and understand love outside of God, it it doesn't fit right. It's It's like a jacket that doesn't fit right. Like when you try and love somebody else, but you don't have Jesus at the center of that relationship, it's like a it's like something that just doesn't fit right. It's something that just doesn't feel right. Because you cannot adequately love somebody else holistically without Jesus in your life. John 3.16, we're familiar with this scripture. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus so loved us that he came. He came because he loved us. He came because he loved us. You ever think about this like every Christmas season about why would Jesus come to earth? He came because he loved you. He came because he loved us. And this is not a a love like often we think about it. We're limited in how we're able to understand love. We're we're limited in how we're able to express love and describe love. We're limited even in the English language. We only have one word for love. And when you look at other languages, like if you look at Greek, and they have multiple words to describe love. Like in English, we try and say, oh, I I love my spouse with this romantic love. And the Greeks would say, oh, yeah, 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 you're talking about eros love. That's cool. And then we would say, well, like I'm trying to describe this love that I have for my siblings or this love that I have for my friends. And and the Greeks would say, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're talking about philia love. You're talking about philia love. And then we would try and describe this love that we have for our children and children having for parents and this this idea of this love that goes this way. And the Greeks would say, oh yeah, yeah, you're talking about storge love. And we use the same word again and again and again, but in different languages, they have multiple words to describe what we are trying to describe. And we also know that we have this agape love. And this is the agape that Jesus has. This is the agape love that God has for all of humankind. It's this love that is holistic. It's this love that can be experienced when you love humankind, when you love your creation. It's holistic, it's perfect, it's, it's, it's incomplete. This is the love that God has for us. And so we're limited in how we're able to express it, but we still have We still have love languages. We still have a language that we try and use to help us understand how we like to experience love and how we like to express love. Like how many people have ever done a love language test? Has anyone ever done a love language test? Okay, so like 
I, if you've never done this before, I encourage you to do this. Even if you're single, it's a helpful way that you can understand how you like to receive love and how you like to express love to other people. There's five different love languages, and I know that I like quality time, and I know that I like acts of service, and so if I'm gonna show Meredith that I love her, I'm gonna clean the house, right? And so when she comes home and the house is clean, she knows that that's an expression of how I love her. And I know that she likes quality time, and I know that she likes gifts, and so if I buy something for her, she knows that it's something that she likes to receive. She knows that I'm trying to express my love for her right now. And we have these five different ways, and you might know which one you are, like how you like to receive it, and you might know how you like to express it to different people, but even that is limited in how we try and understand love. And even when we look at certain scriptures, like if you go to a wedding, if you've been to a wedding in the last 50 years, you know that we're gonna quote 1 Corinthians 13, right? the love chapter. Love is patient and love is kind, right? Even when we try and understand love through looking at scripture and reading words in scripture, we're still going to be limited in how we can understand love. No matter how you try and understand it, it's gonna be limiting because of sin because we are in a fallen, broken world where we are unable to express love to people without sin. God is able to express love to us without sin, but we are unable to express love to people without sin because of the world that we live in. And sometimes when you wonder why Jesus came, it's important to remember ultimately that he came because he loved you. He came because he loved you. Jesus says in the Gospels 13 different times, I have come because of this. I have come to do the will of the Father. I have come to call all sinners into right relationship. I have come to do this. I have come, I have come. I've, he says, I have come. All of these reasons of why he has come are summed up because he loves us. I have come because I love you. And he says this one that I love. He says, I have come to seek and save the lost, to seek and save the lost. He's talking about us. He came to seek and save the lost. We were lost until we were found. He came to seek and save us. He came on a rescue mission so that we could be in right relationship with him. He came to seek and save us because we were lost. And sometimes when you've been saved for a really long time, you forget about what it's like to be lost, right? I used to lose things all the time, like all the time. And then when we started having kids, I realized that I can no longer lose things anymore now that we have kids, because kids are valuable and you shouldn't lose them. And, but when I was younger and when I was growing up, I used to lose things all the time, right? And I got better at this over time, and I got better as I practiced and, and did all these different mental exercises so that I would stop losing things. But what I learned is that when you lose something, the degree that you're going to look with it, like the degree that you care about it, determines how much you're going to look for that thing. Like if something has very little value, you could care less, right? It doesn't matter that it's lost. My loss is somebody else's gain. Sometimes when I lose my keys still, I know that I have a spare set of keys. And so I might look for it a little bit, but in reality, I know that I can just use my spare set of keys. And then eventually, the keys are gonna show up. They're gonna show up in a, in a pair of pants that I have on the floor somewhere. They're gonna show up in a jacket that I've put away, or they're gonna show up in a door somewhere. But I know that eventually, the set of keys that I have lost are gonna show up, and I don't really need to look for it because I have a spare set of keys. I don't care 
that much. They don't have that much value in my life. But then a few months ago, Meredith and I were at the Mommy Summer Fair, and uh, we're walking around as people everywhere. There's just a sea of people, and there's vendors in the streets, and it's just a, a busy environment. And, uh, and I know that I've got one kid with me, and I look across, and I see that Meredith only has one kid with her. And if you don't know, we don't have two kids. We have three kids. And so now I do the math really quickly, and I realize that we're actually missing one of our children, right? And if you have ever lost one of your children then you know the feeling that immediately came over us as parents. And I said, Meredith, Meredith, where's our middle child? And she said, well, I thought that he was with you. And I was like, well, I thought that he was with you. And so now we're back at each other and now we're trying to find where our kid is. And she takes off in one direction and I take off in the other direction because we're now trying to find our child who is missing. We're screaming down the street. We're pushing people out of the way. Everything that we had been focusing on was gone. It arrested all of our attention to try and find this thing that was missing because of the value that he has in our life. Anyone ever lost a child and know the feeling that I'm talking about? Isn't that a horrible feeling? It's horrible. You wouldn't wish that feeling on your worst enemy. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. And then I turned around after like 100 yards and I look back down the street and Meredith is walking hand in hand with two of our children and I check and I make sure that I still have the child that I'm meant to be watching. And so now we have all three children reunited with our parents, right? It, it's tough being a, a parent with three kids, by the way. If you don't have kids and you're thinking about how many kids to have, only have two. When you have two parents and you have two kids, it's easy because then it's one-on-one. -on -one. When you have three kids, it's a game changer because you, now you're, you're playing like zone defense and now it's much more difficult to know where three of them are when there's only two of you. But we have three kids and we're not giving any of them back and so we're stuck with three now, right? But the degree that you are going to look for something is determined by how much value it has in your life. And Jesus wasn't satisfied being in heaven knowing that there was a broken relationship with his creation. And so he came. And he came because he loved you. And he came because you have value. He came because he loves you. And he can complete you. No one else can complete you. No one else is able to. Even if you try and love someone else well, you are only going to love them in an incomplete way because of sin, because of brokenness. And it's inevitable in life that you're not going to get everything right. It's inevitable in life that you are going to experience pain and hurt, and it's gonna be inevitable in life that you're gonna experience the feeling of being unwanted or unvalued because of this broken world that we live in. It's inevitable. Even if someone is trying to do well, they are still going to be unable to love you completely because of this world that we live in. And so it is inevitable that you are going to be left feeling wanting, that you are going to be left feeling unwanted or unvalued. And it happens all the time, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Like if, I, if I'm fully honest right now, I'm an extrovert and so I love being around people. I, like I love Sundays because we get to be around people. Like I love our family of five, but I love our big family as well because there's even just more people that we get to be around, right? But the danger in being an extrovert is that when we are uninvited to things, it makes us feel unwanted. 
right? And so I know that there is a difference between the offense that takes place and being offended. I learned this years ago, that the offense is the event. The offense is the thing that takes place. The event is, is the thing that we, can be, we, that we can receive offense about. This is inevitable because of the fallen, broken world that we live in. You are going to receive offense in your life, but then you have the choice about what you're going to do about that thing as well. You have the choice on whether you're going to be offended by the offense that took place. And so I know that if I get uninvited, or I know that if I don't receive an invitation to something in life, that it doesn't necessarily mean that people don't like me. It doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want me there. It just means that I haven't been invited to this thing. But I know that my default is that I like to be invited, and so my default is that if I really think about it, then I feel unvalued, that I feel unwanted, that I feel offended because I haven't been invited to that thing. And that's my thing. But I know that you have something as well. And I wonder when the last time in your life was that you felt unwanted, the last time in your life that you felt unvalued, the last time in your life that you, feel, that you felt unloved. Maybe it was something that happened recently. Maybe it was something that happened a long time ago. Maybe you're thinking back to high school right now when you tried out for some sports team and you didn't make the cut, or maybe if you even think further back in life and you think, man, my parents told me that I was never wanted. My parents told me that I was a mistake. My parents told me that they never wanted me here. Maybe you think about when you last asked somebody out on a date and they said no, and it made you feel unwanted, it made you feel unloved, it made you feel uncared for. Or maybe you text somebody and then they didn't text you back. Or like they just broke up with you by ghosting you in this relationship and they just stopped texting you, right? Or maybe they're one of those crazy people that have the red notifications on their phone and so you can tell that they received the text message but then they never actually texted you back. Like maybe they're one of those crazy people that do that and it drives me nuts when people do that. Like if I send a text message to somebody and then I can see that they have opened the text message but then they haven't texted me back. Like I know that you know that I know that you can see the text message but now you haven't texted me back? I can be offended by that offense that has taken place, right? Don't do that to people. It's rude. Text people back. But it hurts. It can happen in relationships. You can be offended. You can feel unvalued in relationships. You can feel unvalued in the workplace. There is the potential that last year you lost your job because of the pandemic and, and employers being unable to keep the business open. Maybe you were told that you are not essential. And when you're told that you're not essential, it makes you feel like, do I have value? What is my identity? Am I able to, to am I cared for? Am I feeling valued if I'm told that I'm not essential? Or the other side of that equation, if you are an employer and you're unable to keep your business open right now because you can't find people to work for you, maybe you feel unvalued because you have this mission, you have this purpose, you have this desire, you have this business that God has given you and you are trying to take people along the journey, to take people along the journey of this business that you have created and you can't find people that are willing to come along the journey with you. And so you feel unwanted because you can't keep people employed in this. 
We know that it's described now, this season of life, this, this age is described as the great quit or the great resignation where millions of people, over four million people resigned last month in this, in this country. It's called the great quit because no one is willing to stay in their place of employment anymore. And so if you are an employer, it is difficult for you to find people that are willing to stay in employment and that can make you feel unwanted. And so whether it's, whether it's in relationship or whether it's in the workplace, it can also happen in church as well. In, in the church environment, you can feel unwanted. You can feel unvalued. You can feel unloved. It shouldn't happen, but it does happen. If you're new here, like if you've only been here for a year or so, then you might think that Meredith and I created Cornerstone Church. We did not create Cornerstone Church. We have been installed in this role for two years now. Our founding pastors created Cornerstone Church out of a vision back in 1986, and we were installed into this role just two years ago. And so over time, we have made changes, and we have transitioned things, and we have made decisions, and we have done as well as we knew how to do, but there is the potential that as we have been making changes, you have received offense as a result of some of the things that we've done. There's the potential that we haven't done some things that we should have done, like change the carpet. I know that we need to do it. It's gonna happen eventually. Every Sunday that I'm out here, I know that we need to change the carpet. But I know as well that the moment that, Bishop, I only know one person that likes our carpet. I know that the moment that we change this carpet, somebody is gonna get offended about it because this beautiful tapestry is created that people have been experiencing God on for decades now. Somebody's gonna get upset about it. But in seriousness, there's, there's other things that we have transitioned, there's other decisions that we have made, some things that have gone well, some things that haven't gone well. And there's the potential that you have felt unvalued as a result of some of those things. And so I just wanna say, that I'm sorry for that. We have read books about transition. We have read books about leadership. We have studied the theory of all of these kinds of things, but the reality is there's a big difference between the theory and the practical. And sometimes we've moved too quickly and sometimes our priorities haven't necessarily been in alignment and sometimes we have forgotten certain things and, and it's never been our intention for you to feel unvalued or for you to feel unloved or you for you to feel unwanted. And if it has happened, I'm sorry about that. And I want you to know that I wish that it was the last time that it's gonna happen, but it's probably not. Because I'm human. And I am going to let you down from time to time. But you know who's never gonna let you down? Jesus. Jesus is never gonna let you down. Don't put your hopes in me, put your hopes in Jesus. Put your hopes in Jesus. Put your hopes in Jesus. Even if you've been told in life that you are not essential, Jesus came because he loves you. Even if you've been told that you are unwanted, Jesus came because he loves you. Even if you have been told that you were a mistake, Jesus came because he loves you. Jesus said that he created you in your mother's womb. 
He doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mistakes. And so if he created you, you are not a mistake. That's what God says about you. You are not a mistake. And he came for you because he loves you. His love is complete. His love transforms everything. His love refreshes your spirit. The love of Jesus will transform your entire life. Addictions flee in the name of Jesus. Peace is restored in the name of Jesus. Joy is restored and returns in the name of Jesus. And so whatever it is that you are pursuing, if it's not Jesus, stop it. You will not find your completion in that person. He or she cannot complete you. That thing cannot complete you. If it has been created, it cannot complete you. Only Jesus can complete you. Put your hopes on him and he will complete you. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't leave you. He can't forsake you. He's perfect and he loves you. He created you and he wants you. And if you've never experienced this kind of love before, I wanna give you an opportunity to receive his love into your life right now. If you're able and you're here, would you stand to your feet with me? We're gonna pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus today so that we can all be in right relationship with him. We'll receive communion in just a moment, but I wanna make sure that everybody is in right relationship with Jesus today. And so if this type of love fills you with curiosity, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer of commitment to him today. I promise you that he can transform your life. I promise you that he will transform your life. However much you give him of yourself, he will transform. He loves you, he came for you, and he wants to be in relationship with you. And so whether you've prayed this a hundred times before, or if you're praying it for the first time today, let's all pray this together out loud. Father, I come to you today broken and in need of a savior. Jesus, you are that savior. Jesus, you complete me. Wash me of my sins. Make me new. Put me in right relationship with God and help me walk it out. I declare today that in the name of Jesus Christ, I am saved and I am complete in Him. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.